Amen. Hey, if this is your first time worshiping with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. Uh, in the back of the seat in front of you is a, a Connect card. And uh, today we've got a special gift for you in the lobby of our church on your way out today. We've got an East t-shirt that we would love to give you uh, just as a thank you for being here. You can grab that card in the back of the seat in front of you, fill it out with as much info as you feel comfortable with. And on your way out today, drop it by our Next Steps area and uh, they'll hook you up with a free t-shirt. If you're watching online, uh, the link to our Connect card is filled out, is, uh, is in the description of the video. You can click that link, fill it out online. And let us know if this is your first time worshiping with us or if you have any prayer requests, Uh, even church members here at East. That card is also a way that you can let us know about needs or about info changes or any of that kind of stuff. Um, It's really a a lot of the lifeblood. It's the lifeblood of what we do here communication-wise. And so please use that Connect card. Um, In January, we've been looking at what the mission of the church is. Uh, That's uh, uh, a lot of times I'm, (laughs) uh, I'm this way anyway. Uh, I like to make my own decisions. I don't want you telling me what to do. I was that way as a teenager, and I have continued to be that way as an adult. My wife can attest to that. Um, that's not a good behavior, I'm not telling you that. But as human beings, we want to define for ourselves what we do and, and what, we, what we think and where we're going. And oftentimes we want to do that as the church, too. We want to say, okay, God, uh, okay, church, okay, God, okay, community, here's what we're going to do going forward. Um, and honestly, that's the dangerous thing. Uh, because what we need to do is ask first seek God in his word and ask him uh, what he would have us to do. So I've introduced you to a statement um, that you may already be tired of hearing, um, but that's a good thing. Okay, I want you to get I want this statement to be so annoying to you that you begin to mock me. Okay, like when you're eating with people like you're like, oh, if he says it one more time, because here's why. When you start mocking me, you've learned it. See? You memorized it. That's all I'm asking for. Mock me, go ahead. I just want this statement to get in your brains like an earworm and not be able to get it out, okay? So here's the statement. You've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it, but here it goes. We want to see here at East the glory of God in us, our neighbors, and the nations. Um, That's where we've been studying because we believe this is not only just what God has laid before us. It's what we see laid before the church in the book of Acts. It's the whole story of the early church, the glory of God and them, their neighbors and the nations. And so as uh, we started this study, just by we saw that there was a tight-knit community of care, love, and discipleship that was going on among the believers. And I just wanted to say, it goes back a few weeks, but that's what we need here. We need in each one of us a longing for lasting relationships. Uh, I know we all have friends. We all have people that we can call. But until until that mo- until those relationships are not just exclusively here, but they need to be here too. Yes, have your friends outside of this church, but you need real lasting relationships here within this body of believers. Um, that's why we changed our group model and created relationally driven what we call life groups uh, that meet on Wednesday nights. We feel that these groups will help us prioritize lasting relationships. So we can see the glory of God in us. Then we looked at how the early church loved their city, right? They were centered in the early days in Jerusalem. They were known for hospitality and openness to those around them. Um, Now here's the deal. God has not planted us in a metropolitan area, right? Like harvest is not a bustling city, but God did plant us here. Amen. And this is where we are. And so you may not even live in this area. You may drive into this area. But this is where God has planted us. 
And he has planted us here with purpose. And so we need to be faithful to this area going forward, especially in 2021. Uh, so we, wanna, we want those at least within, th- within a five-mile radius of our church to know that our church exists to worship God, but also to love our neighbors well. Um, we want them to know that they are loved and that they are always welcomed here at East. And we're going to fo- we're going to do that by focusing our attention on the three schools that fall within that five mile radius and also working to meet the physical needs around us. We believe when we do those things, we'll see the glory of God in our neighbors. Last week, we saw the early church beginning to spread out from Jerusalem. In their earliest days, the focus of the church had been reaching other Jews in Jerusalem. That's what they saw. But they began to learn that God had bigger plans. God wasn't about just saving one people group. God wanted to save people from the furthest reaches of the, of the world, from different uh, nationalities and ethnicities. And that was what God was about. The blood of Jesus wasn't just shed for the Jews. It was shed for all of mankind. And so we see them beginning to get over prejudices and, and, and uh, clicky mentality Right, They begin to spread out. They reach the Samaritans. And they begin to go into Judea and Samaria and reaching people. The, I told you about a church at Antioch, which is where we're going to be centered today, a church at Antioch that was very multicultural. And uh, we see that that's what God was desiring from the beginning. Um, and we also see that the way that they were doing that was by intentionally working to plant churches. Uh, so for us, it's going to take some time to learn what it looks like to plant a church somewhere in North America, but we want to do it sometime in the not distant future. We want to be involved in church planting because there are areas in North America that need desperately need churches. There are areas in Limestone and Madison and, and Morgan County that need churches, and if you don't believe that, um, I can show you statistics after and you'll be blown away. But that's what we're going to do, okay? We're still working on details, but we're praying that way. God, use us for church planning in North America in the future. Today, we're going to see the gospel continue to spread from this new multicultural church at Antioch. I'm going to read the first three verses of Acts chapter 13. I'm going to pray, and we're going to come back and dive in. Uh, Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close, friend of, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that, uh, that what we see in your word is a clear picture of what you want us to do. And God, uh, we don't, we're not in Jerusalem, we're not in Judea and Samaria, but God, you've planted us here in Harvest God, uh, for a purpose, and I pray, God, that you would continue to help us see what it looks like uh, to expand ministry from this place to the ends of the world. Uh, God, I pray that you would help me today to proclaim your truth and challenge your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, if you've never been in a small group, then you don't understand how, or if you're new to small groups, you don't understand how awkward they can be sometimes. I'm just shooting you straight, okay? Small groups can be awkward. I've been in awkward small groups and Sunday school classes in the past. See, when I get together with my friends, we all know each other. We have the same inside jokes. We've got this history together, and we can study the Bible together, and there's very little awkwardness, right? We intentionally don't do that here. We want our small groups to be a little bit more diverse, right? And so when, you get, when you're in a small group, guess what? It may not be easy. Because everybody's coming from different walks of life. Everybody has different life experiences. And the inside joke that you try to make is going to go right over their heads. Okay? 
That's not easy. Sitting in a room with people from all different walks of life, opening God's word and forcing yourself to be honest and real with people who are not yet your close friends, that's hard and weird. But guess what? God's word says it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's in that type of group that God seems to speak and move most often. And the group that we see gathered here at Antioch is a strange bunch. All right, we're, we're see, we see five names listed here. And I just want to talk quickly who, through who these guys are. And if, if you're like me and previous life, uh, previous life, previous ministries and stuff, I've been in awkward small groups sometimes. This one takes the cake, okay? Um, so Barnabas and Saul, it says, that it mentions those two names. Barnabas is the first one, Saul is the last one that's mentioned in, chapter, in verse 1. Um, these two guys were both Jewish. Uh, but, however, they were very different in the way that they were Jewish. Uh, Saul was what we call a Hebraic Jew. That meant he was, he stuck to the law, man. All 613 laws or like he, he was going to do his best to do everything that could, uh, he could do every day of his life to make sure that he was following the law as a Jewish man. Um, he would have been very hard nosed. He went through the training system that was in place for young Hebrew boys and excelled at it to the point that he sat under one of the most well-known rabbis of the day. That was Saul. That was his life history. Barnabas, however, was what we call a Hellenistic Jew. Uh, These people, they were Jews by practice, but they had also adopted certain practices from the world around them, right? They they would have looked more like normal people, but yet they were Jewish. They wouldn't have stood out as much as the Hebraic Jews. Here's what you need to know. They didn't always get along because the Hebraic Jews knew, y'all need to be spending more time keeping the law. And the Hellenistic Jews were like, y'all need to spend time around people, (laughs) Right, And there was this constant battle back and forth. We actually see it bleed over into the church multiple times where we have those who are Jewish and those who, are not, who, who aren't keeping the Jewish law. It continues to be an issue even in the Christian church um, in the first century. So these two guys, they're not going to be, you know, getting along well. Um, there are also two Africans in the group. Uh, Simeon, who is called Niger. Um, not sure if this was a nickname or if it was simply a description, but either way, he's called that because that word means black. So clearly, he was a black man who was living in a Middle Eastern area who wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a lot of uh, black African people living in this region, right, where he was. And so he would, have, he, would have, he would have felt a little different in the room full of Middle Eastern guys. Um, there's another... A guy named Lucius, who is also from Africa. He's from Cyrene, which is on the northern coast of Africa, south of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, he may he would he would have he would have been um, just on the north coast. So two. So right now, let's let's just go through what we have. We have two Africans who do are live in very different cultures. The northern culture would have been very different from where uh, Simeon grew up. Um, we have two Jews that don't get along uh, based on their cultures, and then we have this guy named Manan, and y'all. This guy's my favorite. Um, It says he was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Um, If you're like me, you had no idea who that was. That's Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, uh, I'll tell you about his dad first. His dad was the guy who wanted Jesus killed and like had babies killed under two years old in Egypt, just trying to make sure that this this baby king didn't come uh, to full age. Uh, He missed it, but that was his dad. Now, let me tell you about Herod Antipas. He divorced his wife so that he could marry his half-brother's wife, who was also his niece. That sounds fun, doesn't it? 
Um, and then Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, he called him out for it and said, Hey, man, your relationship with your niece slash ex-brothers, wives, whatever, it's icky and it's sinful. <laughs> Focus on the sinful part for him. Icky more for us, okay? Um, but Antipas gets frustrated with this, and they're, as a family, his, his wife's involved in this, but his wife's daughter, all this stuff. But he winds up having John the Baptist imprisoned and later beheaded. All right? Then, flash forward a little bit, at the end of Jesus' life, Pilate, who is trying Jesus, he sends, he sends Jesus to Antipas. And when he goes there, Antipas is like, hey, man, I hear you can do miracles. Can you do one for me? And Jesus says, No. And he gets so mad about it that he has him beaten, made fun of, and sent back to Pilate to, to essentially just bring about his death. He knew what he was doing. Antipas, real stand-up guy, right? We all agree. And this guy, Manan, who is in the church at Antioch, sitting in a room with Saul, Barnabas, Lucius, and Simeon, is his golfing buddy. Like longtime friend. How could these five men even get along by the power of God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, church? There is no other situation in this day or in ours in which a Hebraic Jew, a Hellenistic Jew, a black African, a North Coast Cyrenian, and a longtime friend of Herod could sit down and have any kind of a healthy conversation. But through the power of the gospel, they not only have a conversation, they love one another deeply. Don't miss this. This is the beauty of the church at Antioch. It probably made for some awkward moments, right? Just be honest. It probably made for some awkward conversation. When, uh, when old Manan starts telling the story about him hanging out with Herod, Antipas, <laughs> Saul starts sweating a little bit, <laughs> Yeesh, right? But they would have been awkward, but they just embraced it. Yes, it would have been awkward, but what better image for the outside world to see in the church than this kind of openness, this kind of love that, 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 that spans all generation gaps and all uh, political gaps and all uh, socioeconomic and all uh, ethnicity, all of those things. And what better image to put before the world? Was this ragtag bunch of five are worshiping together and God makes it clear to every one of them through the work of the Holy Spirit that he wants Barnabas and Saul to be set apart for a task. And so what do they do? They worship some more and then they lay hands on them. They pray over them and then they send them out to begin uh, the work in the world. This moment, I told you last week, uh, actually you guys didn't catch it because I skipped over this part in my notes, but last week um, the church in Jerusalem, they weren't spreading out to Judea and Samaria like God had called them to, but persecution came. And the Bible tells us that then they went to Judea and Samaria. So the persecution that they experienced sent them to Judea and Samaria. This is the moment where they're sent to the ends of the earth. This signals the jump to the last move, right? This is the move to the ends of the earth. This is the beginning of the largest push to carry the gospel everywhere. And so 
there's a simple principle that we're going to take note of as a church here. And, and this number one, if you're a note taker, sending missionaries. Uh, the early church was about sending missionaries and so must we. Barnabas and Saul here, they're being sent out as an extension of the local church. Yes, they're being sent out as an extension of Christ and the work of the gospel. Yes, but they're also being sent out as an extension of the church in Antioch and really the church in Jerusalem. Because remember who planted the church in Antioch? The church in Jerusalem. So we've got... We've got uh, dad, son, and now we're sending out missionaries, right? If we're thinking of it like a family. Um, Saul's missionary trips were a little slower, a little longer than what you and I are used to. Um, oftentimes they were taking years. He's traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles on foot um, and by boat. But he would go, he would make his rounds, and he would come back and report to the church at Antioch and to the church at Jerusalem what was going on and how God was moving. Listen, as a church going forward, I will be straight with you. I can't imagine a single mission trip that we plan where all of us, all of us get on a plane together and go. Rather, that's probably not going to happen. We will almost always send a team to go. That team may be one or two, or that team could be 20 or 30. But this is, so we're going to be sending teams on mission and we're going to treat it just like this. You think, man, I ain't, no, I ain't no Saul or Barnabas. No, you're not. But neither were they, right? Like they didn't deserve this kind of send-off. But when we begin to send missionary trips out, whether it's for five days or whether for a month or whether for years that we're sending somebody out on the field, we want to bathe the prep time in prayer and we want to lay our hands on our missionaries and send them out. And here's why, and to those of you who will go on mission trips in the future, you need to recognize that you represent us as you go. You represent this church as you go out. And that's a big deal. Uh, that's what we see Saul, Saul doing as he goes. He would bring words of encouragement by mentioning the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch as he's going to these other places. And I'll be honest, my, it's always scary when God starts sending people from your church to be missionaries, right? Because they probably weren't just chair sitters they were probably serving in some ways but i want to be honest with you and tell you that our staff's prayer will always be god send more it's got to be god send more we will not measure the effectiveness of god's spirit in us by how many heads i can see on a sunday morning you know that right yes we do take a head count on sunday morning because we believe that is a helpful number it does show us something however it's not the most important number. We also take a group number. We feel like our group number is important. Actually more important than our worship number. It shows us how many people from our worship service are actually gathering in groups like we've encouraged them to do. And then we also have a number that we keep that shows us how many people in our church are serving because we believe that percentage of our worship, it shows us something about who we are as a church. But one of the most important numbers for us going forward in this new, where we're trying to lay out our mission opportunities one that's far more telling is how many of our people are serving our neighbors and the nations through the missions of this church. And I stole this from somebody else, but I'm just going to use it. We are not as concerned with our seating capacity as we are our sending capacity. That will be our focus going forward. We will send as many as God stirs in the hearts of, as many as we can send, and more. Amen? 
But what are we going to do? That's the big question, right? Like, how are we? I'm talking about mission trips, and we don't even have a plan yet. So I'm going to be honest. I found out in December that we had the full freedom to begin to lay out what our missions look like going forward. That's not a freedom we've had as a campus in the past. We do now. And so I just began to think through, okay, what what would this look like? And I started researching international mission partners, and I realized that's a lot. There's a bunch of people and organizations and teams and all this stuff that we can get involved with. And I realized, God, I need, I need you first, right? I need you to begin with this list. So instead of beginning with this big, huge list, I went to Scripture, and I found myself in the book of Acts as we're going through this. And I asked God to narrow his list down, and he's begun to do that. And I want to show you what I mean by looking at Acts chapter 14, a very, very important thing that we see in the way that Saul and Barnabas uh, uh, were missionaries. Beginning in verse 21. After, uh, Paul, after Paul and his team had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Listen, here's what you need to know. Saul did many things on his missionary journeys. He preached the gospel. He formed relationships. He met physical needs. He encouraged and discipled existing believers and a ton of other stuff. But notice what he does before leaving the city. When his team had appointed elders for them, in every church. Here's a nerd moment. Okay? The word elder comes from the Greek word, golly, I didn't even rehearse it. I butchered it in the first service. Pres, pres, presbyteros, I'm butchering that. I can spell it for you. P-R-E-S-B-Y-T-E-R-O-S. All right? It's one of three Greek words that's used for leadership roles in the church. Another one that gets translated as bishop or overseer is the word episkopos. Okay? So you have this P word that I for some reason can't say, and episkopos. Right? We also see the term pastor or shepherd used to describe this role. And most scholars will agree that these terms do not represent three separate roles in the church, but actually all point to the same role. Elder, bishop, overseer, shepherd, and pastor. You can use those interchangeably. So if you want to call me elder, bishop, overseer, or shepherd, feel free to, but I prefer Heath. Okay? Heath is fine. But whatever. Okay? Um, so if elder here represents the pastoral leadership in each local church, then that seems to be Saul's ultimate goal, correct? They did all these other things, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, the next verse of 24 says that they left. Right? So one of the last, the last thing that Paul does is he appoints elders, he prays with fasting, commits them to the Lord, and then he leaves. Paul's ultimate goal seems to be to see a church planted in the city. Paul was about sending missionaries, but the early church was about sending missionaries, but also planting churches. I know I talked about this last week, that's point number two. I know I talked about it last week, but it's important to mention again and this is where I'm going to get controversial and make some of you mad, but hang on to the end and I promise it'll make sense. We can work to meet needs anywhere in the world. We want to go. But will we be doing what is best for that community? How can we be more effective in our meeting of needs in a particular area? How can we even be sure that what we are doing when we go somewhere 
that we're not actually doing more damage than we are good? Those are real questions that we need to ask. And I, listen, I'm going to tell you a story. I've seen a church load up coats, water, and shoes, drive six and a half hours away to a very poor area. And they got there. They literally stopped in the middle of the street. They flung the back door open of a box truck and just started screaming at the top of their lungs, free stuff. And people, very poor people, came out of their homes and swamped the truck, as you can imagine. And they, they seemed very thankful for the stuff that they were being given. And that's good, right? They were meeting needs. But I'm going to argue that what they ignored was that there was a poor little Southern Baptist church right down the road from where they stopped in the street that did not have the financial needs to provide coats and, and water and shoes for, for the community. They knew the deepest needs of the community and they were willing to help. But the people that they were helping weren't the ones who were going to storm out of their house when they saw an Alabama box truck pull up. They were the ones that were sitting inside trying to make ends meet. And so let me ask you a question. How much better would it have been to have given all that to the local church pastor so that he and his church could distribute those to the needs that they knew were real in their community? And as they went, they could have carried a gospel message and said, here's shoes, here's water, here's a coat. Now let me tell you about Jesus. And as they had a conversation about Jesus, they could have said, come Sunday and hear more at my church that's two minutes down the road. Like this is... this is. But that's not fun, right? We want to be the ones to give it to people. We want to be the ones to do that. That's done here. We can't do that. Our job, as I believe we're getting it from Scripture, our job as we're praying through missions partners and asking what, what would you have us connect with, God, our main objective, and this is going to sound controversial, but hang on. Our objective is not to personally meet physical or even spiritual needs when we go overseas and around North America. That may sound strange. Our goal is to build up the local body of Christ so that she may minister better to her community when we leave. Whether that means partnering with an an existing local church in the area or working with locals to plan a new church, our goal must always be on the church. And if I haven't sold you yet, let me sell you. Get on a plane tomorrow and fly to India and lead someone to Christ and come back home. Is that good? Amen. What if you used the time that you were investing in this man, trying to lead him to Christ, to invest in a pastor, invest in locals who could not only lead that man to Christ when you left, but see him discipled? Do you see the difference? This is an important distinction, an important nuance that we've got to take into consideration as we're praying through what missions partners God would have us to connect with. I can promise you it's going to be local church oriented, no matter where around the world we are. And if God lays an area on our heart and we can't find a church there, then we're going to start praying differently and say, God, how can we do it? Because this area needs a church. Our mission efforts must have the same end in mind as Saul and Barnabas did, appointing elders before we, well, not before we leave, if we're only there for five days. But we want to see over time a church planted in a particular area. This is an important missional nuance for us going forward. Sending missionaries, planning churches, the third focus that we see from Paul and Barnabas and their team that changes over time is is this, continuing to reach. I want to remind you of the way that, that Jesus commissioned his disciples back before he went to go to be with the Father. 
Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we see take place from chapters 13 all the way through to chapter 18 is a movement towards the end of the earth. We see the church spreading out from Judea and Samaria to go to the ends of the earth. Paul and several companions take at least three missionary journeys to plant new and strengthen existing churches. As they continue to reach further into unreached areas, we see that this new movement of believers is causing some ripples. And some higher-ups are getting a little frustrated. At one point in Acts chapter 17, uh, I believe it was in Thessalonica, um, the the rulers say the, the movement that has turned the world upside down has come here. What a word to be said of a movement, amen? That's what we see in the book of Acts. And, and, and so as we're seeing this movement continue and continue, um, and it does cause ripples and people get upset, Paul, we find out in the last few chapters of the book of Acts that Paul gets arrested. But as a Roman citizen, there's a cool little uh, thing about being a Roman citizen that you can plead your case directly to Caesar. And so they arrest him and they treat him badly. And he's like, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, by the way. And I'd like to plead to Caesar. Imagine this. Podunk Paul from Tarsus, Jewish nobody before Caesar sharing the gospel. The boss of the entire world at this time. Paul's there getting to share the gospel with him. And if I can't and it's really, really cool, but when we get to the book of the end of the book of Acts, guess what we don't hear about? That interaction, we don't get to hear Paul before Caesar, like, sharing Jesus, and I have questions, right? Like, I've got a list of questions about what that looked like and how that went. We can guess how it went, because history tells us that Paul was beheaded um, in Rome, and uh, so it probably didn't go well. I'm assuming Caesar didn't repent of his sins and turn to Jesus because uh, he, he has him beheaded. So, um, but what about the mission, right? The mission was the book of Acts we thought was telling us about reaching the ends of the earth. What about that mission? Had it been ruined? Paul didn't make it to the ends of the earth, church, but he made it to Rome. Rome wasn't the end of the known world, but it was the epicenter of it. It represented the true picture of hearts of man's sinfulness in his heart. Uh, Rome represented uh, the belly of the beast of sinfulness, right? Man's desire to, to, to define who God is instead of listening to God. And guess what Paul did there? He made sure there was a church. This is what we see Paul do over and over and over again. We may not see the ends of the earth reached by the end of the book of Acts, but listen, that's not the point. If Paul had reached the ends of the earth and you and I could sit here and wait on heaven. What we see in the book of Acts is it ends and Acts 1.8 has not been accomplished. That's the point. The work continues. Paul and his team continued to reach for the unreached. And I'll say so must we. When I say unreached, um, that's not just a general term. Okay, uh, it may not be something you're familiar with, but I want to help you that in missional studies, unreached is an official term that represents a people group that has less than 2% true born-again believers in their population. Less than 2%. 
Think about what that means. If you live in an unreached people group, you may live your entire life and never meet a Christian, never hear the name of Jesus. Think about that. And unless you're informed, I could give you a hundred stabs at it and you would never guess the percentage of people that live in one of these areas. Out of the 7.76 billion people on the earth, 42.6% of the population live in areas where less than 2% of the population are following Jesus. 42, that's 3.2 billion people that may be born, live full lives, and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. And over 1 billion of those live in areas where we know there ain't no church. Or at least there hasn't been for the last two years. Y'all, that's real life. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm pulling that from the International Mission Board, which is an agency of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm pulling that from the Joshua Project, which is a website and an organization that does tons of research. So what does this mean for us? If there are 3.2 billion people who do not have, who probably don't have access to the gospel, what does that mean? Well, here's what I'm not saying. That we all put our stuff on the side of the road today and get plane tickets tomorrow. I'm not saying that. But here's what I am saying. We have to care. This has to be important. We have to be moved to pray for these people. We have to be willing to give towards missionaries who are on the field with them. And yes, we need to find ways that we as a church can be physically engaged in this effort at some point in the future. We cannot be a church that just puts blinders on in regards to the nations especially the unreached peoples. We must have skin in the game. The work that Paul and the apostles began continued through their disciples and eventually through their disciples and their disciples and their disciples. And you would think that over 2,000 years, surely we've reached the ends of the earth with the gospel. We've had 2,000 years to try it. But the church has become distracted with wars in the 1200s and 1300s. You're better at history than me. We've gotten distracted by the things that God called us to do. And now here we are more distracted with TV and movies and social media and, and, and political garbage instead of the gospel that changes lives. 2,000 years we've had an opportunity to make a difference and we haven't. We haven't reached the ends of the earth. We've settled and we're in routine. But what we, do see, what we don't see is Paul and his traveling buddies settling. They're not settled in. They are consistently pushing. Now, I don't know what all this looks like yet, but I promise you, as your, as your pastor, we will be a church for the nations. We must be. Because it's our calling. It's our calling. We cannot forsake, just like we can't forsake our neighbors for the nations, we can't forsake the nations for our neighbors. We've got to do everything in between. I hope the last few weeks haven't been overwhelming for you, but this is the life of a pastor, trying to figure out where we're going and what we're doing. So I brought you behind the curtain so you could pray for us. Pray for wisdom. Pray for direction. Join me in that. But also when I ask you a question, I'm going to take a drink of water.
Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for us to see the glory of God in us, our neighbors, and the nations? Right? Because to accomplish it, we must be united. We got to all be about it. The thing that unites us is the gospel. And I want to begin by asking this question. Are you living out of the gospel today? What I'm not asking is, when you were 10 years old, did you pray a prayer and get dunked? That's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, is has the power of the Holy Spirit changed your life? That's the question. Has the Spirit of God changed your life? Has the blood of Christ caused you to live differently? Are you living out of that calling and that power each day? Man, if not, before we begin on this journey to, the, to us, our neighbors and the nations, man, I need you to nail that down. I need, you to, I need you to know before we step off in this, I'm telling you, listen, the things we've talked about, these things are biblical calling of God. And when we choose to be obedient to these things, Satan's not going to like it. So we got to be prepared for that. we got to be prepared that as we begin to carry the gospel to the places that God leads us to, that he ain't going to like it. we got to be prepared. And so I need you to know today that you're securing your salvation. I need you to know that today. Man, we're going to sing one more song here in a second. There's no better time for you to figure that out. we got counselors. Um, I'd love to talk with you down front. We've got counselors by the back door too that would love to talk with you just and make sure, like help you process through those questions. Man, it's so important. Any decision that you're wrestling with, like we want to help you with that. And also, man, if if what I've talked about the last, I know it's maybe been confusing and maybe a little overwhelming, but if it excites you too, <laughs> and you want to join in with what we got going on, man, we got we've got nine individuals or families next door right now that are linking arms with us for the future. To see the glory of God in us, our neighbors, and the nations. They're signing on, having heard the last four sermons. <laughs> they didn't hear this one. Well, I've sent it to them. But they're signing up next door to take part in what we're doing. If you haven't done that yet, we would love to talk with you about how you can join arms and become a true covenant member of Lindsay Lane East and join us as we reach the na- our neighbors and the nations. Um, we'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, any other decision that, that you need to talk to us about, baptism, getting that in order, come to the altar and just voice some praise for yourself or for others or for this church, man, that's what we want to do. Uh, I'm so thankful for you guys, and I pray that God has used this message and he will continue to use it in the future. Let me say a word of prayer, and we'll all stand, and then uh, you can sing or respond however. Father God, we thank you that, uh, God, that you've made it, I believe you made it clear in your word what we need to focus on as a church. Um, God, more than ever before. I've been in ministry over or like 11, 12 years now, but God, never before have I seen a clearer picture as I've read through Scripture than over the last month. God, I thank you for that clarity that comes through the Holy Spirit. I pray that for us as a church, God, that you give us clarity moving forward, the steps we need to take, the partnerships we need to have, God, the all those things, God, we're asking you to follow, make them fall in place. So God, we get in our own way sometimes. We're asking you to move us out of the way. 
Give us clarity and wisdom so we can make a difference for you. God, when my life's over, I want to I want to I want it to be able to be said about me that I love the church, I love my neighbors, and I love the nations. I pray that not only over my life but over this church. We thank you, Father, for what you've done in us over the last year. God, how you've continued to send new people to us. God, for the nine couples or individuals or families next door, God, that are taking this next step to join with us. We're thankful for them. But, God, there's more that you want to do in this community. And, God, we're asking you to use us. So, God, as we stand and we sing and we respond, God, I pray that you would do something in the hearts of your people to get us ready for what's ahead. God, we thank you. We ask you to move in Jesus' name.